Well, for the sake of our guests, we've recently been in a preaching series based on our churches and our denomination's statement of faith. We are in a denomination known as Sovereign Grace Churches. Along with other Sovereign Grace Churches, we share a common statement of faith, a common confession of faith. My assignment today is to give a sermon based on section four of the statement of faith, which if you've been following along, you know it is entitled Creation, Providence, and Man. Creation, Providence, and Man. This section in the statement of faith is substantially focused on issues of gender, sexuality, marriage, and singleness. Statement of faith appropriately roots its affirmation on these matters in God's created order. Therefore, I know of no better place to turn this morning than to where it all started. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, please turn in them to Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 1, our primary texts today are Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28, as well as one chapter over, Genesis 2, verses 18 to 25. The context, as you are likely aware, is creation. It's the very beginning. It's God creating the world. By the time we arrive at verse 26 of chapter 1, five days of creation had already taken place. God had already created the heavens and the earth. He had separated the light from the darkness so that there was both day and night. He had created vegetation, plants, birds, sea creatures, and so on and so forth. Then we arrive at day six, where God creates land animals, and then finally he creates man. So, you're in Genesis 1. Let's begin our reading in verse 26. Then God said, then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
Let's now jump over to chapter two. In my large print Bible, I've got to turn the page. We pick up in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. Notice what comes next. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This, at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning and write its eternal truth upon our hearts. One morning last week, I was going through my email inbox when one email in particular stood out to me. The subject line of this email read, gender confusion is rising in the church. It was an email from Ligonier Ministries, the ministry founded by the late Dr. R.C. Spruill. With my interest piqued, I clicked open the email and read it. And I want to read it to you. The email opens with this question Who determines your gender? You or God? The email continued on. Not long ago, most people dismissed questions like this one as absurd. But in recent years, rapid and alarming changes have taken place in American views on important ethical issues such as gender and sexuality. Ligonier's 2022 State of Theology survey reveals 
that nearly half of U.S. adults now believe that gender identity is a matter of personal choice. So, Ligonier Ministries conducted a survey, and in that survey they discovered that nearly half of U.S. adults now believe that gender identity is a matter of personal choice. The email continues on. With the steady rise of secularism in the United States, it's tragic yet unsurprising to see so many people embracing the false notion that we, rather than our Creator, have the authority to determine our gender and to alter this identity at will. More disturbing, however, is the finding that 37% of professing evangelicals now also think that gender identity is a matter of choice. These survey results represent an increase of 15% in only the last two years. It is important to note that in a footnote, the article defines professing evangelical as those who agree with the following four statements. Number one, the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. Number two, it is very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Number three, Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of my sin. Number four, only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. So track what this article is saying. I'm sure you did. 37% of people who believe those four things also believe that gender identity is a matter of choice. Tragic indeed. The article goes on to say this. The rise of unbiblical views among American evangelicals on the subjects of gender and sexuality seems to expose the influence of a secular worldview that is making deeper inroads into the church. These survey results also indicate an urgent need for clear biblical teaching on ethical issues among Christians. We hope the 2022 findings of our State of Theology survey will galvanize the church in its calling to make disciples, teaching them to observe all that the Lord has commanded. As the Ligonier survey demonstrates, we live in a time in our world, in our culture, and now as we see even in the church where there is enormous confusion surrounding issues of gender identity, 37% is obviously not a small number. And to think that number is 15% higher than it was only two years ago. It is, it is all quite 
sobering. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we as believers and as a church respond to this cultural moment before us? Well, we respond in the way faithful Christians have throughout church history always responded. When biblical doctrines have come under attack in the culture and in the church, we proclaim the truth of God's Word with grace, clarity, and boldness, and we walk in obedience to God's Word ourselves even if it proves costly. I'm so very thankful for our denomination, Sovereign Grace Churches, and for our confession of faith, which supports us and encourages us as a local body believers as we seek to do just that. When it comes to issues of gender, sexuality and marriage, it is critical that we begin where Scripture itself begins, and that is at creation. That is where our statement of faith begins in section 4, and it is where we begin today as well. Section 4 of our statement of faith begins with these words. In the beginning, the triune God freely created out of nothing the universe and everything in it by the word of his power, all for his own pleasure and the display of his glory. God declared the entirety of his creation to be very good. A footnote in this section of the statement of faith says, creation establishes God's lordship over all things. This reminds us of the words of King David in Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2, where he declared, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers." Here the psalmist says quite simply, God created it all, God created it all, therefore God owns it all. And therefore, as we see later on in Psalm 24, he is also king of all. So the creator God is king. He is Lord over the cosmos. What this means practically is that we, the creatures, are not the ultimate authority in this world. You are not the ultimate authority. I am not the ultimate authority. Academia is not the ultimate authority. Government is not the ultimate authority. Rather, God is. Christ is the ultimate authority in the universe. Therefore, in everything, what matters most is not what created beings we humans may think or feel or say. Instead, it is what God has decreed and determined through creation and 
in his word. So, what has God determined? What has God determined? What has God decreed? To answer that question, one need look no further than Genesis 1, verse 27. In Genesis 1, verse 27, God's word says, So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the creator of all and Lord of all created humans as male and female. In today's culture, many, many seek to disconnect gender from biological sex thereby rendering one's biological sex utterly meaningless. Brothers and sisters, we must be clear. The Bible itself knows no such distinction. God created humans such that one's God-given biological sex determines one's God-given gender identity. And in Genesis 1.27, we see God didn't create a multiplicity of genders. He created two. Hence, mankind is binary in gender. And it is in God's original created design of male and female that human beings gloriously reflect the image of God. In the image of God, he created them. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The sovereign grace statement of faith explains as follows. Men and women are both made in the image of God and are equal before him in dignity and worth. Gender designated by God through our biological sex is therefore neither incidental to our identity nor fluid in its definition, but is essential to our identity as male and female. Oh, I'm so grateful for the clarity that our statement of faith gives us. Here, the statement of faith highlights what Genesis 1 makes clear. Every human being's gender has been divinely determined. That means God decided it. Furthermore, the statement of faith says gender is not incidental to our identity. In other words, one's gender, one's gender given by God at conception is not insignificant to who a person is. It is not trivial to their identity. It matters. The statement points to the fact that we are not androgynous beings. Androgynous just means, per the dictionary, of indeterminate sex. We are not androgynous beings. We are not born of indeterminate sex that we then determine by our own choice what sex we are sometime after we are born. No, we are in fact conceived with our gender having already been determined for us, for us by our Creator, by God. 
And gender is not socially constructed either as it is commonly spoken of. Someone is not male because their social environment tells them you are male. And someone is not female because their social environment says you are female. The point that the statement of faith is making Gender is not the result of personal choice or social influence or any other form of human determination. Instead, it is God-determined. And His determination, God's determination, is ultimately the only thing that truly matters. Furthermore, the statement of faith says we humans have no right or ability to change God's definition of what it means to actually be male or female. The definition of what it means to be male or female is not up for discussion, dialogue, or debate. It is already fixed. It's already fixed. Because God has already defined it in creation. And brothers and sisters, God's definition... His design? Oh, it's beautiful. It's amazing. It's to be celebrated. The man and the woman were part of the creation of which God says, not just was good, but was very good. So male and female, God created us in his image for his glory. Therefore, therefore, as creator and Lord of all, he's the creator and Lord of all, as creator and Lord of all, God expects and requires every human being made in his image to live in keeping with his design for their biological sex. And when people do, when people do live in keeping with God's good design for human sexuality, when that happens, human flourishing and joy and happiness is the result. And the opposite is true as well. When people don't live in keeping with God's good design, that is nothing less than rebellion against the creator of all this. It is tragic. And it results in untold amounts of sorrow and suffering as we are seeing in our world today. Brothers and sisters, may we have great compassion on and sympathy for our fellow image bearers who have embraced a sexual identity and or gender identity that is not in keeping with God's design for their God-assigned biological sex. When individuals embrace a self-conception that is homosexual, or transgender, that is a deeply sad and grieving reality of living in a fallen, broken 
world. And it, it is nothing less than tragic. Oh, how it must grieve the heart of God to look upon our world today and see so many not living according to his good design, which if people are to follow it would bring them joy. That said, we must affirm no one, and I'll say it again, no one is beyond the grace of the gospel and the redeeming power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So may we have great compassion on anyone who is in this situation. May we pray for them and seek to love them with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and share the gospel with them in hope that they will repent and experience the grace of living according to God's good design for their God-given biological sex. I do want to say at this point, if there is anyone here today experiencing any confusion or struggle in the area of sexual identity or gender identity, um, my heart goes out to you. There's a lot in our culture that is indeed very confusing. I would just encourage you if that's you, if you're struggling in that way, there is an abundance of grace for you. And I would encourage you, please seek help from someone who believes in the authority of Scripture and who can help you process through what you are experiencing in a biblical way. Something else I want to mention here. May we, dear brothers and sisters, not neglect to see all forms of sexual immorality, heterosexual immorality included, as deviation from God's good design. God created human beings to be satisfied sexually in the marriage relationship between husband and wife alone. Alone. That's his good and wonderful and beautiful design. One man married to one woman, covenantally bound to one another until death, sexually fulfilled in one another. That is God's beautiful, incredible, wonderful design. For the single man or woman, God calls them to glorify him through walking in purity and in chastity. And that, that is a beautiful thing in God's sight as well. May we be reminded today, seeking sexual fulfillment of any kind outside of marriage is sin that God calls us to repent of. So may God help us, dear brothers and sisters, to glorify him as redeemed people of God and walk according to his design. Obviously, a lot more could be said on these issues, and I do just want to say, if anything I've said here raises for you further questions regarding issues of gender and sexuality, 
uh, that I may not have addressed. As a pastoral team, we want to commend to you the 2017 Nashville Statement created by the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood and is available for free online. You see the link, the URL on the screen. It's available for free at cbmw.org. This statement, if you haven't read it, you got to read it. This statement is both pastorally sensitive and it is biblically clear. And that's the combination we are going for. It's pastorally sensitive and it's biblically clear. It will help you. It will equip you to know how to carry yourself uh, in these difficult days and how to speak to these issues when they, when they come up. Again, that's the Nashville Statement, cbmw.org. You can download the PDF, print it out, uh, do whatever you like with that. So, section four of the state, a Sovereign Grace Statement of Faith gives a biblical perspective on gender. It also provides biblical perspective on marriage and singleness as well. Um, just because of limitations of time, I can't thoroughly address these subjects. However, I do want to make a few, a few salient key points here. First of all, the statement of faith affirms that men and women alike are equal in dignity, value, and worth. As we have already noted, men and women alike have been created in the image of God. Therefore, male image bearers and female image bearers are equal in dignity, in value, and worth. That said, the statement of faith also affirms they are different, they are distinct in role and function. So, men and women, male and female, equal in value and worth, different, distinct in role and function. That's actually a phrase worth, worth memorizing. I, th I think CBMW probably said that somewhere at some point, and it stuck with me. Equal in value and worth, different, distinct in role and function. The differences, the distinctions in role and function are rooted in creation. They are embedded in God's created design. They are grounded in nature. In Genesis 2.15, we read it earlier, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. What was his job? To work it and to keep it. So... In creation, we see that the man's God-given role was to keep the garden. It was to keep the garden. It was to cultivate the garden. It was to rule over the garden. And the woman's role was to help the man in this God-given task and assignment. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. That's chapter 2, verse 18. Then two verses later. For Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the man, the man was called to a task. And he couldn't do it by himself. The man desperately needed the woman's assistance, her companionship, 
her gifts, her help, her support in order to accomplish the God-given task that was set before him. Tim Keller points out that the word in Hebrew translated helper is ezer. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. That's the way it's spelled, ezer. And it is often a word used for God himself in the Old Testament. So word helper in the original language, ezer, it's often a word that's used for God himself. Keller says that the idea here is that of a strong helper. So, husbands, you want to know what God thinks of us? <laughs> we need help. And not just a little bit. We need a strong helper. A wife is to be her husband's strong helper, and this is part of God's good created design. And I would want to mention here, there is nothing demeaning here to women about God's design. Contrary to what the culture may say, God's design does not demean women. It does not exploit women. It does not suppress women. And the woman's role is no less significant or less important than the man's role. As a family of churches, we are what's called complementarian. We are complementarian in our convictions regarding gender and sexuality and marriage. We believe that Scripture teaches the sexes are distinct yet complementary. Men and women are equal but different. Equal but different. And their differences... Their differences complement one another. They complement one another in amazing, beautiful, God-glorifying ways. The statement of faith explains the way this works in marriage. Husbands are to exercise headship sacrificially and with humility. <laughs> Husbands are to exercise headship sacrificially and with humility. Gentlemen, that's what we're called to. And wives are to serve as helpers to their husbands, willingly supporting and submitting to their leadership. Together, these complementary roles bring joy and blessing to each other and display the beauty of God's purposes to the world. Again, I don't have time to go into all the scriptures that support that statement. Ephesians 5, to 25 is, is one of them. For now, suffice it to say, just a few things here about submission. Submission does not mean subjugation. Submission does not mean subjugation, and it doesn't mean male domination. And wives certainly must never, they must never follow their husbands into sin. Rather, submission involves having a disposition, an inclination to follow. So biblically, marriages are most fruitful and most happy and most God-glorifying when men are leading sacrificially, loving their wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her, and wives are following their husbands God-glorifying leadership with glad hearts. 
God's plan for marriage is, is beautiful. And there are few things, brothers and sisters, that we as believers can do more to testify to the glory of the gospel, to this watching world where gender confusion and sexual confusion abounds, than to build God-glorifying, happy marriages in keeping with God's good design. You want to be a testimony and a light in this broken and fallen world where sexual confusion and gender confusion abounds. Well, if you're married... Work hard to build a God-glorifying, happy marriage. It's God's calling on us as the people of God. The statement of faith speaks to marriage. It also has a wonderful few sentences on singleness. It says, single men and women are no less able to enjoy and honor God and no less important to His purposes. They also are to give expression to God's image in distinct and complementary ways, flourishing as his image bearers and bringing him glory in their singleness. This is a hugely important point. As the Apostle Paul and Jesus himself illustrate, singles are able to glorify God with their lives just as much as those who are married. There is a way to pursue biblical masculinity, glorifying God as a single man. And there is a way to pursue biblical femininity, glorifying God as a single woman. Again, that's a discussion for for another time. So let's bring this home. And if the band could return, that would be wonderful. We began our time this morning by talking about the rampant confusion that characterizes our society and to a degree the church as well on issues of gender and sexuality. And I want to end, I want to end by encouraging all of us, may we do all that we can to be a light in the darkness. What a glorious calling the Lord has placed on his people. What a glorious calling he has placed on his church to be a light. How do we do that? Well, we seek to be faithful. We seek to be faithful to live in keeping with God's good design for manhood and womanhood ourselves. That's where we start. We start with, our, we start with ourselves. And we cultivate deep convictions regarding what it means to be a man of God. We cultivate deep convictions regarding what it means to be a woman of God. We make those two subjects. I'd encourage everyone here. Make those two subjects a subject of your study, of Scripture, other resources. If you want to know of other resources, you can talk to me or Jeremy One of the best things we can do to be a light is to glorify God and the God-given gender that he's assigned to each of us. So yeah, study, study. Develop strong convictions in these areas and then seek to apply. Let us seek to apply those convictions to our lives and to live them out in our marriages, in our families, in our church, and in our 
our community. And I'm thankful to be in a church community like this. Like, you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning. There's nothing new here. And uh, it's, it's just encouraging to my heart, to my wife's heart, our family, to be in a church community. We're on board together on these things. And you know what? That gives us such an opportunity as we pursue God's design to really glorify God and be such a testimony to this world. And I do trust as we pursue these things, brothers and sisters, God, God wants to use us. God has his hand on each and every one of you, and he has his hand by his Holy Spirit on this church. He has every man, every woman, every, every marriage, every young person, every person who's back there in the children's ministry. God has his hand on us, and I do believe there's a high calling for us as we pursue holiness and godliness in and, and, and all these ways, and not legalistically to try to achieve God's favor, but, you know, resting in the perfect righteousness of Christ. You know, he did it all. <laughs> he paid it all for us. Conscious is cleansed by the blood of Christ. Out of love for him, we pursue holiness and godliness in these ways, as we do. People look in to that. Unbelievers, people who don't know Jesus, they look in and they see and they say, whoa, what's going on here? You see your neighbor couple, you know, your neighbors see you, if you're married, you as a couple happily relating to each other. Wait, not, not everyone's like that. What's behind that? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. The Lord has a lot for us, and I trust he's, he's going to help us in the days ahead to shine the light. Lord, we pray you would help us to do that. Lord, our desire and our passion is your glory, and I thank you for your word, which is so clear on these matters of gender and sexuality. Thank you for a statement of faith, which helps us so much, a family of churches that helps us so much. Lord, we just pray you'd help us to glorify you. Lord, our prayer for our lives, for our church, is that all glory would be to Christ. And everyone said together, let's stand together. Amen.